Welcome back. I hope you had an opportunity to listen to at least one episode from season four, which we just wrapped up. And if this is your first time, welcome to season five. Thank you so much for being here. It's Jennifer Diane Ghostin, and welcome to Once Upon a Time in Adoptee Land. A part of my identity is being an adoptee, being separated at birth from my original family and placed into foster care for two years before being adopted has significantly impacted how I see my place in the world. After connecting with the adoption community over a decade ago, I recognized the added value adoptees bring to a conversation about adoption. You may have wondered what reunion looks like from an adoptee's point of view or be embarking upon taking that journey yourself to search for your first family, or simply want confirmation that you are not alone in your experience, wherever you are on the path of healing and pushing through a trauma. Wouldn't it be empowering to have many of your burning questions answered here? My next guest I met at the in-person NAP, National Association of Adoptees and Parents, 2021 conference. Upon meeting her, she was most engaging and shared that she was a published author. Her name is Laureen Pittman, and I enjoyed her memoir so much, The Lies That Bind. She is deeply descriptive and puts me right in the room with her writing style and vulnerability throughout her story. In this episode, you will get to hear her words about being in reunion and rejected by her birth mother, not once, but twice. At the same time, she is able to be a blessing to her birth father in more than one way, as he accepted her invitation for him to get to know her and for her to get to know him. Lorraine is a paralegal by profession and worked for lawyers and law firms, large and small, for over 20 years after graduating from college with a degree in political science. Allow me to introduce you to someone who is on the other side of writing her adoption story with her memoir. She is committed to helping other adoptees to craft their stories for publication, too. Hi, Lorraine. I'm so glad you're taking this opportunity to talk to me today. How are you doing? Hi, Jennifer. I'm fine, and I'm, I'm honored to be a guest and happy to be here. Thank you so much. You know, I have your book sitting right here in front of me, The Lies That Bind, a memoir. I so enjoyed it. I love your style of writing and your story is, wow, it's just a lot. It's packed with so much. And I know we met at the NAAP conference in 2021 in Indianapolis. And so, yeah, I was able to to get your book at that time. And I just want to say you're such a warm and engaging person. And I'm glad we were able to meet face to face with this pandemic going on. So um, I think that's probably where we can start. Um, What was your experience like, like during this time with what we have going on in the world, actually being able to meet with people in person, particularly at the adoption community? I was so happy that NAP was meeting in person in 2021. I know they were worried about about that. 
the adoption community for me is like a big family where you just feel accepted and you can tell your stories without being feeling self-conscious and your story matters. And I love hearing other people's adoption stories. And I was so happy to meet you as well. And I'll tell you, this pandemic, I think, has been extra tough on adoptees because we feel kind of isolated anyway, I think, even within our own families that we make or that we belong to. This February, this month, is the third anniversary of my book uh, being published. And I started a couple of months ago, well, about a month ago, making some little graphics or something to kind of put out there and celebrate my uh, book anniversary. And I kept writing, oh, it's the second anniversary of my book. It's, you know, it's, I, can't, I can't believe it's been two years. And I started thinking about it. And, and just like in the last couple of weeks or so, I'm like, what in the world? It is actually the third anniversary of my book. Mm. It's like 2020 didn't even happen. It's like the last three years have just been so crazy, right? Yeah. But yeah, the pandemic, I think, has affected adoptees in a different way. The same, but different. You know, we feel a little isolated, like I said, and having the conference be live and in person and getting to hang out with our people was was wonderful, I think, for me. I, I mean, I really enjoyed it. Meeting new people and getting to see people I had met before. I had been to one uh, of the one other conference before in, I guess, I guess 2019, right, is when they had the, the one, and then they skipped 2020. So for me, it was it was wonderful to it see everybody. Was. It really was. And I think that I needed that. I hadn't been out in a while. I had really kind of been very isolated. That was like the first event uh, in a long time, and it was nice to know that it was with the adoption community. There was something really special about that. So I did finish your book, and I just think, like, it's heartbreaking at times, and then it's also uh, a lot of good things happen that came out of um, your story. So wherever you want to start, however much you want to share would be great. The disappointment part I think you're talking about, I think that's going to haunt me kind of forever. But you're right. There is a lot of uplifting that, that happened after that. I did find my birth mother right after college. This was in the late 80s. And so this was before DNA and even before computers. I had hired a private investigator and, and found her. The tricky thing, I guess, uh, the, comp the thing that complicated my story, I think, for her and for us, is the fact that she was in prison when I was born. And so finding her was not that hard. We used public records and was, were able to, to find her, but she didn't want to meet me, didn't want anything to, to do with me. She had, had really moved on from that part of her life. And um, I was born in 1963, drugs were a big part of it, and that was why she was in prison. So she really turned her life around, but, but turning her life around meant closing the door on that part of her story, the part of the story that includes me and the fact that I exist. So it, I tried a few times to reach out to her, but, you know, I I got tired of figuratively being slapped in the face, like, uh, don't contact me anymore was her, you know, one of her final things she said to me. So I kind of respected that and, and, and went along my way and, uh, you know, made my own life and it wasn't until DNA and um, 
computers and social media came around and now I'm in my fifties when I started thinking about my biological father and, and perhaps there's a way to find him or find out more about his family. I, I, I don't think I had it in the, in the front of my mind when I did the DNA to, to find him. I wasn't really looking for him. I just thought I might find more information about uh, that part of the family that I'm from and for my boys. So I used 23andMe, which they they do the health profiles for you as well. So that was kind of, I think, the main reason. And then the secondary reason was, oh, maybe I'll find out something about my biological father. Well, much to my surprise, he was in the system. He had done his DNA and we matched. Mm. Um, yeah, it was crazy. <laughs> you know, my first question is, well, he must know about me because why would he be doing his DNA? Maybe he's looking for me. This is great. So I reached out and uh, he uh, absolutely was not looking for me and didn't know anything about me. And this is the, what I think interesting and maybe a little bit humorous part of the story. He thought, well, this has got to be a mistake. I don't, I don't have a daughter out there. I, I, I didn't, that's impossible. So he has no recollection of the event wherein I was conceived. No mm. recollection of my birth mother. To this um, day, like he I, still doesn't have no, a record. he still doesn't. You know, like I said, this was the 60s and there were drugs involved and he still calls himself an old hippie. Said he experimented with drugs a lot and, and but he doesn't, you know, remember. And, he, you know, he says, the women that I've had, you know, relationships with where I can count on my hand and I, I don't know this woman you're talking about. So... And then not able to talk to her, so she can't shed any light on it. But anyway, it's DNA doesn't lie. I did know enough about his story to convince him that he is my father, and the DNA finally convinced him. I thought my story would kind of end there. Uh, you know, of course, I wanted to meet him and learn about his family, which which I did, and that's that's in the book. The story kind of didn't. It it really didn't end there. I found out the reason he was on. The reason, the reason he had done his uh, DNA and the reason he was on 23andMe is because he didn't know anything about his father. Right. Um, That's so fascinating, that part in the book. And I don't know if we yeah. want to give it away, like <laughs> what ends up happening. Well, yeah, I'll just say he, he, uh, he, he was lied to about his father's family of origin he didn't grow up with his father because his father died when he was very young and this is what helped us to grow closer and make a connection and i cherish this part of it so much is we were able to do the research well i did most of it you know and and helping him dig up the mystery of who his father really was and that's all in the book and and that's part of how we built our relationship and and it, and it was really a wonderful way to do that so that's, I think that's so yeah, yeah kind I, of I really think so and and I keep thinking how it's his father but it's your grandfather so it's uh, it's a win-win right. yeah I need to keep you know reminding myself <laughs> I would give him these little bits of information that I would find and I'd be so eager to hear about how he felt about it it would take me a while to process it well this is my grandfather right it's not his father you know and, right. and so it took me a while to to process all of that too so it was a really neat experience for for both of us so mm-hmm. yeah so growing up how were you feeling about being an adopted person 
Well, I was told from before I can remember that I was adopted. So I always knew. In our family, it was never, and I also had a brother who was adopted. We don't remember being told we were adopted, but we always grew up knowing that we were adopted. And it wasn't a negative thing, but it was kind of, I do remember my mother being very secretive about it and not wanting other people to know. I say it wasn't negative, but it wasn't, we never talked about it. It wasn't, in, you know, I never, I never remember asking questions, even though as children, we all have questions about our origins. But I mean, I just remember it being kind of a hush-hush thing, like, oh, we don't, you know, we don't really talk about it. So it was just, you know, you were chosen, we chose you, you know, that old yarn. And, <laughs> and um, we, we lived with that until we got older and, and got more curious. And I think for me, it was right, probably about my while I was in college, I really started thinking about how it affected me. And and that's when the questions really started coming up and how different I was from them. You know, you realize that as you grow into an adult, right? That's when my curiosity started to really come to the forefront was, I, I guess, right around age 20, you know, 19, 20. I really started thinking about it. And uh, that's what made me search, I guess, for my biological mom when I got, when I got, back. I, I say when I got back, I went and spent my senior year of college uh, abroad in in England and spent a year over there. And then being away from my adoptive parents really made me feel like, wow, who am I? You know, mm-hmm. I, I never really married them. And I, and I, you know, made me realize how much I'm, you know, how important things like acknowledging the trauma of adoption, acknowledging genetic mirroring really matters because here I am, you know, I, I, le- I was so eager to get out of the house and I, I, here I am over in this, you know, foreign country and I'm like, wow, what do I do? Who am I? What am I, how am I supposed to act? What am I supposed to do? That's when I really started questioning what being adopted means, you know? Mm-hmm. And so I know that you have adult sons and did you bring them along the journey with your biological father? Did, did you like keep them abreast of where you were in the search? I did. At the time, my uh, oldest son was in his 20s and he, he wasn't all that interested. He was curious. You know, I kind of would let him know what was going on. My younger one was still in high school just starting high school. So he was too young to really, he, he was preoccupied too. So they, they didn't really care that much. And I think that was part of why I started writing the book. I thought, well, I got to write all this down. This is all crazy stuff. And they're going to want to know someday. They're going to want the details someday. So I, I, I did bring them kind of along on the They didn't go with me to meet my biological father. Neither did my husband. He really wanted to go with me. He was really worried about, about me meeting this stranger who is not a stranger, right? And <laughs> But I wanted to go by myself to actually meet him because I just wanted to make sure I wasn't worried about was my husband bored? Did he care about this? Or how am I supposed to act? You know, I just wanted it to be authentic for me. But since then, my husband and, and my youngest son have, have met him. And it's been really wonderful. I, I don't think, I think for my older son, he, he remembers my adoptive parents when he was younger, he remembers my adoptive parents and they took care of him a little bit here and there. And so for him, that's grandma and grandpa. So this stranger coming into the world, into my world is kind of odd for him. He's like, that's not my grandpa. And I'm like, well, it is. And I think you'll feel differently, you know, later on when you, when you think about it and process it, he's 30 now and and he's, 
he's just still he's not he's just not that interested in it and isn't that strange because you've got adoptees that are kind of the same way some that say they're not interested in their genealogy or their heritage or their biological history but and you've got some that absolutely are and it's the same with people who are not adopted i mean you've got people that are so into genealogy and then people who don't really seem to care that much. It's it's It seems odd to me because I care. <laughs> yeah, I care too. And I guess it is a personality thing. And my son, who's 31, he is like your son, your oldest. He's like very loyal to the grandmother that he knew. Or, yes. you know, like their relationship was so tight and he doesn't need any more grandmothers, <laughs> you know, besides his dad's yeah. mother and the, the mother that raised me. So it is just, I guess, a perspective. Maybe it has something to do with the generation, too. And then male children, I think, are maybe wired a little different than females. That's true. Yeah. You know, it's just interesting how our kids and, and like you say, anybody in the community can have, can have one way they're looking at it. And I'm like you. I It's important to me. I want to know. And, and I think something else you said that was really good is they may not want to know now you know our sons at 30 or in their 20s or things change when you get older younger people may see things one way now and as they get older and their kids get older and so forth then yeah they want to know a little bit more or it just takes on a different meaning so I'm glad you shared that my brother who I am not biologically related to my adopted brother he always claimed that he was not interested in finding his family. He eventually did uh, very recently, but all along he was not interested. And his daughters, he's got uh, three daughters. And as adults, you know, they used to tell me, Aunt Lorraine, I'm so interested in your story. I just feel like I, like, you know, I'm not like dad's family, which is the adopted family. I think you're right about the males being wired differently. His girls were were interested in, in knowing his original family. So uh, I don't know. I, eventually, I do think that they care. To what degree, I don't know. But they, <laughs> I'm glad we both have written our stories down, right? Yes, most definitely. And And that leads me to my next question as a published author. When did you realize your talent as a writer? Well, I have always loved writing. I spent 25 years as a paralegal doing legal writing, um, which is really boring, but I mean, that's all I did, legal research and writing. And I actually enjoyed it. I, I liked writing, but what was missing was anything creative, right? And uh, the first kind of creative writing I did was a recipe writing and I had a, I had a cooking blog and I was doing cooking competitions. And that was kind of this hobby I had when I was still working as a paralegal. I really, I found out that this is really a, a wonderful way to, to express yourself. But when I wrote my book, I hadn't really become part of the uh, adoption community yet. I started writing, blogging about it. And, and I thought, well, this, this story could be a, a book. This could be a full, a real story. So I, I started writing a book kind of on my own. Um, it wasn't until after the book was published that I kind of jumped into this wonderful adoption community. I'm so glad I did. I mean, let's face it, we all want to publish a book that 
everybody loves. But really, I think our stories, they do have a, a niche and, and that's with the adoption community. And I've grown to love and rely on this adoption community for, for so much, for support, for encouragement and communion of, uh, you know, fellowship and, you know, everything. I mean, I just, I'm so happy, but I have to say that the book came first and then the community came. I'm so happy to be part of, of the adoption community and to know so many wonderful people, birth mothers, as well as adoptees. It started with Indiana Adopt, Adoptee Network, and now it's, you know, NAP, our National Association of Do- Adoptees and Parents. It's just been I'll use the word lifesaver for me because it's really helped me to acknowledge who I am and adoption is a big part of that. And instead of kind of pushing it down as part of me that doesn't need to be out there, it does. It is. It's part of me. I thank NAP and and all the other adoptees I've met along the way for that. Yeah, like NAP. I just thought about it. You did a workshop with Lynn Grubb and Paige Strickland that I got to attend and it was like standing room only. It was a wonderful workshop. Tell me a little bit about what that meant to put that on, put that together. Lynn and I had started a kind of a small group on uh, Facebook, a page for a female adoptee writers who were thinking about writing their memoir, maybe just blogging or even just journaling, just writing, writing things down about being adopted. We thought we could present this workshop at NAP. What's so important to me is is sharing these stories, whether you're going to write a book or not. I mean, I think sharing leads to talking about it. You know, sharing your stories leads to to talking about it. Talking about it leads to processing it and and connecting with other adoptees. And this is what leads to healing. And and we just wanted to share and encourage anybody. We were not surprised, but we were kind of wowed by the fact that there were so many individuals that are working on their memoirs or, or want to write a memoir. But even for those who, who aren't, there are so many adoptees and birth mothers writing poetry, writing or just journaling, or there are a lot of blogs out there. And you do this for connection. So we wanted to acknowledge that and and value every type of writing and, and connection and however you want to reach out. And yeah, you're right. It was kind of standing room only. And I feel blessed about that. It was really uh, wonderful to, to meet so many people that are interested in writing and, or starting their writing journey or already on their writing journey. It's important to me. I think that's a wonderful way to share because not everybody can sit down and have a conversation like you and I are doing right now. And actually the podcasts are a great way to, to do that too, because a lot of people hopefully will, will listen to the two of us talking about, about how wonderful it is to connect. Uh, I'm just all for that. Connect as much as you can. And nap is a good way to do it. Writing is a good way to do it. I'm just thankful. And talking to podcasters is a good way to do it. Yes, I agree. And just being connected in a way that I guess is comfortable to you. Some people read, some people, they like listening, participating on the Zoom. Like I hadn't done Zoom ever before uh, 2020. And now I feel like I'm one there on a regular basis uh, with the community, with other adoptees, other members of the Constellation as well. And it's been really very rewarding. Yeah. Yeah. I guess that's one thing that the pandemic kind of gave to us as a gift is the Zoom and the other ways to connect online. I do some 
messaging in addition to zooming you know with nap and some other adoptees and video messaging you know i get you know you can connect with anybody across the country and, and talk about anything so i guess that's one gift it's it's forced us to to do that and it's made the world a little bit smaller that in that way to connect and yeah i would encourage people to keep doing that although meeting in person really is the best it's been good to be able to still connect while not being able to meet in person for sure mm-hmm Well, back to your book, I highly recommend everybody get a copy of The Lies That Bind. I love how you're so descriptive in that first meeting with your biological father and you went alone and and how you explain why it was important to do it that way and how it unfolded. You just string your words together beautifully to put me there. I can only imagine, like, you don't know what to expect. And the way you set it up, in terms of having your hotel room, that's important. Like there's probably certain things that you would share as guidance for someone based on your experience that probably works best. Do you want to talk a little bit about that when a person is going to meet their biological parent for the first time? Sure. And uh, thank you for your kind words. That part of the book, I guess I thought was kind of the, the climax for me. And flying 2,000 miles away to meet my my birth father by myself. Oddly, though, you know, I wasn't I wasn't scared. I wasn't nervous. It just felt kind of otherworldly. He offered a bedroom in it at, at his home and I declined that. I said, you know, I not that I expect anything to go wrong, but <laughs> right, right. You know, we all kind of need our time. You know, yeah. we need to process what happens it's very heavy i mean even if it goes well it's still like heavy i had a, my own vehicle a rental car and, and we met and i had my hotel room to be in every night so that i could process everything it went well as as well as could be expected and i was a little nervous about meeting my half sister because she was kind of uh cold to me as far as the emails and getting to know her ahead of time, ahead of going up there. But she did warm up to me when, when we met at, at her home. She lived with her father. They, the families lived together. I remember the first thing she said to me when she met me, she came into the room and I had already spent some time with, with Jonathan, my, my birth father. And she said, I just was thinking about it. I'm so glad you came. And I just am realizing how brave it is of, of you to, to come up here like this. You know, I, I'm looking forward to getting to know you. And it just, I almost cried. I mean, I just cried. I, I think I probably teared up right there on the spot. I thought, but first I thought brave, that's weird because I don't know, maybe as adoptees, it, we are brave for doing this, but I don't know about you, but it almost feels compulsory to me. If mm-hmm. I find my biological it's not brave i have to do it i guess from, from their point of view it's like wow how brave you're going up to meet these strangers but for me it wasn't brave at all it's like i have to do this i can't go on without doing it or else knowing that they don't want to meet me you know like my birth mother it's like i tried right yeah so it went well i'm thankful for that and and we still we are still trying to to figure out how we fit together as family. You know, they say that there's kind of a honeymoon stage to these reunions, and I've found that to be true. We don't stay in contact 
as much as we used to when when we were getting to know each other and I was helping him find information. You know, it's more like Christmas and holidays. And, and I think it's also because we live so far away from one another. We aren't able to visit as much. It's, it's still a wonderful thing to have that piece of the family puzzle put together. Yes. So you would say that the honeymoon stage is over. Yeah, I would. Even when I was really in the beginning getting to know him and I was giving him a lot of information about his father, my grandfather, he always would start conversations with, sorry, I haven't been in touch or sorry, I didn't get back to you on this. You know, I'm just not used to this. This new technology is crazy. But, you know, he he really did a good job of staying in touch back then because I hate to say it. He, he wanted something from me. He wanted the information about his, his father. But we also became very close during that time. Now that he's processed all of that and, and we're to this certain point of we know each other, we kind of know as much as we're going to know about our past. He's doesn't reach out. I have to reach out. But every time I do and we connect, he's like, I'm so sorry. I'm just not the kind of person that stays in touch, but I welcome it whenever you want to stay in touch. So it's, it's a little bit hard and it's a little bit hard to get used to. And like for my husband, he's like, just call him, just call him, just call him, email him again. <laughs> Tell him you're coming up there. Well, I don't want to be the person that does that. I, cause I feel like I know him and I don't, you know, our relationship is what it is. Right. You know, so. I was just talking with an adoptee yesterday about this very thing. And we as adoptees, we want to like play catch with these relationships. You know, like I throw the ball and then you throw it back. We don't want to always be throwing the ball out and it not being reciprocated. Because to be in a relationship does mean that. It means I call it like playing a a game of catch. Yeah, that's a good way to describe it. (laughs) Yeah. And I, I, too, am past the whole honeymoon. If there was even a honeymoon, I'm not even sure. Like, I'm still unpacking. Was there really a honeymoon at all? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> like, yeah. you know, my maternal side was very engaging and very interested in getting to know me. I will say that in the beginning because they had heard of me. They had knew about me, which definitely makes a big difference because my yeah. paternal side had no clue. And it was a different kind of reception not bad. I won't say it was bad, but it was definitely different. Yeah, nine years into reunion on my maternal side, everything has settled down. There are not a whole lot of questions. And I get the impression, and I'm going I'm to use my son's opinion about this. It's like you don't have history. So, right. Yeah, you just so don't have it. Know? Like it's not right or wrong, it's just not there. I have a nephew I'm thinking of in particular. He does reach out to me. We do play catch, a good game of catch. I like that. And I liken it to the fact that everybody in the family I grew up with doesn't necessarily reach out as much as I say I do. You know, like, and there's some relationships that are stronger than others. So that's just the way families go. So Right, (laughs) right, absolutely. I feel the same. And I talk about that in my book, too, when I'm trying to process the rejection from my birth mother. It's like, well... I know lots of biological families that I've, you know, friends I have and and families that I know who have, you know, siblings don't speak to each other for some reason. Right. You know, it's just human nature. You can't legislate relationships. They just are going to be what they are. So, yeah. Exactly. Well, I guess in closing, uh, is there anything I didn't ask you that you would like to share? 
I don't think so. Gosh, we've had a good conversation here. Yeah, we have. I enjoyed I, talking with you. It's same here. And just like when I met you in 2021, we were sitting there, I think, at, in the uh, restaurant. It was just nice getting to know you. And I also just think that your story, the way you tell it, is just so well done. So I just want to say that again. I'm glad I was able to get it from you in person. Like, that was so cool. You know, to actually, yeah, to actually meet you in person and get your book from you. So, well, thank you so much for taking the time to have this conversation with me. It's been very nice. Well, thank you. And I just love what you're doing, putting stories out there and putting adoptee voices out there. It's wonderful to just keep keep on sharing. <laughs> what a pleasure to be able to meet an author in person and receive their book directly from them. That's what happened to me when I met Laureen at the wonderful 2021 NAP conference. Her workshop, along with Paige Strickland from episode 63 on this podcast, and Lynn Grubb, episode 23, and Marcy Keithley, episode 19, was insightful. Everyone in attendance thoroughly enjoyed their presentation. It was most informative. And I do believe it allowed people to be inspired to write and share their story. Through Lorraine's words, I imagined her pain after reading each letter of rejection from her birth mother. She forged ahead and would experience successes with learning more to her beginnings. I like how her heartbreaks at times didn't defeat her, and she stayed the course of search and reunion. As a talented writer, she understands the importance of the written word and started blogging about her journey to discover her identity in 2013. Here's an excerpt by Lorraine from her website, AdoptionMyTruth.com. It really speaks to me. Some people still believe that the past, my past, and history, my history, should be hidden and denied for all eternity in the name of privacy or to protect others from exposure to embarrassment or exposure to a truth that would destroy some perfectly crafted life created out of denial of the past. Well, it took nearly 50 years, but I decided that I am the one who makes the choices about what I need to do to fill in the blanks about my identity, and I have made a conscious choice to offer my story. Thank you, Laureen, for having this conversation with me. Our chat on February 12, 2022 was a delight, and I'm glad we have the opportunity to share most of it with the listening audience. Your memoir goes on my shelf of the many books by all the other published authors who happen to be an adult adoptee. If you seek to be an ally of the adoption community, I hope you will consider making a donation to keep the show going at patreon.com forward slash adopteeland. Your contribution allows me to present a weekly episode free of advertisement and is greatly appreciated to add a valuable resource to the adoption community. <music>